Welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air, presented by the WellMed Charitable Foundation with nationally known gerontologist Carol Zernio and veteran broadcaster and attorney Ron Aaron. This program provides health, wellness, and other information for caregivers who are vital to the health and well-being of so many people across our country. Now, here are your hosts, Ron Aaron and Carol Zernio. Well, thank you very much, and welcome to Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host, Carol Zernio. We're delighted to be here on uh, what turns out to be a very pretty day in San Antonio, Texas. No matter where you're listening, on podcasts or live over the air, we hope you're having a good day. Carol is the executive director of the WellMed Charitable Foundation and has for many years been a leader in the field in aging, recognized by Next Avenue as one of the top 50 persuaders and leaders in uh, Aging. Per- persuaders. Persuaders. It, yes. I think they used the word influencer. Well, they did say influencer. In, I like persuader, though. I don't Be, know. Yeah, For some I reason, like that, that sounds like I'm actually successful. Yeah, and you are. So it's and nice to be here. Thank you. Well, it's good to be here with you talking about a topic. Uh, every once in a while, we, we touch on a topic that you, unfortunately, have had so much personal experience with. We'll be talking about Alzheimer's, not only uh, diagnosing, knowing the warning signs, but how as a caregiver to manage uh, a, a care recipient who has Alzheimer's. And these shows are tough for you to do. It brings back all those memories. Well, you know, um, our guest, Jenny Funk from the Alzheimer's Association, and I have that in common in that we both have lost our mothers to Alzheimer's disease. And so for those of us who work in the field, you don't get a get-out-of-jail-free card. There's no pass uh, for the disease. And so... You know, Jenny, I think one of the things we were talking about before the show is that, you know, we, wor- we work in the field, and yet it's, it's tough to be the first one to realize that something's going on. It is, and I have very clearly learned that denial is very understandable. It, things can be right under your nose, and yet you can give a class about it, you can help families, but when things are happening right, again, right in front of you, it's very easy to blow them off or think that it's something else or just really not key into some of those specific things that are happening, and they're happening right in front of you. That's right. And then the family members that we're working with sometimes, you know, our moms and our dads, are you know looking at us as we're the kids. Um, and so maybe we're, maybe we're not the right person to carry the message. Now, Ginny and Carol have something else in common. Both are graduates of Trinity University. Ginny moved here from Wyoming to San Antonio to attend Trinity, Bachelor of Arts in Psychology. Graduated from Our Lady of the Lake in 1996 with a dual, one wasn't enough, a dual master's degree in counseling psychology, marriage and family therapy, and is the director of programs for the San Antonio and South Texas chapter of the Alzheimer's Association and has been there for about 200 years. Indeed. Yeah, just close to that. You know, we're just, just celebrating her anniversary. <laughs> what led you into a field? You were pretty young when you started, 18 years ago. Well, I was working in long-term care. When I was in graduate school, I spoke up about needing a job, and I had a woman who was a social worker at a nursing home, and she said, we have an opening, you should come check it out. I had no prior experience with that. I didn't grow up with my grandparents on either side. But my father, he he did hunting and fishing and, and was always, um, when he needed a, a babysitter, I stayed with a lot of his friends and older friends. So I always just really liked being around older people. So I went to the nursing home, loved it, 
fell in love with that job. I worked in activities. My friends thought I was a little odd that I enjoyed <laughs> – that that was what I enjoyed. And, and I had one semester of having to do kind of like an, a practicum at an elementary school. And those kids, I was so intimidated. I felt like they could they could smell the fear on me. I just <laughs> was not able to – work with them, and I couldn't wait to get back to the nursing home. So that was really, I was a volunteer first for the Alzheimer's Association, and I volunteered for, back then, what was called Memory Walk. Did you get a whistle on the clipboard as the activities director? I learned so much. I learned how, this is funny, but I learned the right and wrong way to call bingo. I mean, those people are serious. <laughs> That's right. Please don't mess up bingo. Don't mess up. And I learned so much. I learned how, I really learned a lot of things, how you uh, how you approach someone, how you don't want to scare them, how you want to get at their eye level. And I learned a lot. I learned a lot from a woman in my early first days of working there. I approached her she had Alzheimer's disease. I didn't know anything at that point, and I very much startled her, and she slapped me. And I, have, I can remember that clearly till now, that I did everything wrong, and I quickly learned how we interact with someone who has Alzheimer's or any other kind of dementia really has an impact on them. So we have to be very aware. What are the of- best tips for that interaction for the caregiver who's listening who just got a diagnosis that their care recipient has dementia? Oh, there's, there's, there's so many. And the good news is, is that in our community, there are so many support resources available, including, you know, I work for the Alzheimer's Association. I think that by having a place where you can talk to someone 24 hours a day, or you can attend a support group and talk about things really has an impact on then when you're caring for your loved one, knowing that Okay, I'm not the only one in the world who gets angry at them when something happens. Or I'm not the only one who, you know, I'm trying to have a reasonable, rational conversation and it's just not working. So there's so many tips to help caregivers that are available. I think the very first thing, though, is just taking that first step to either call or reach out for support, or even just, you know, acknowledging that this is happening, and this is going to continue, and you don't have to do all this on your own. Now, if you just joined us, you're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 930 AM, The Answer. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Ginny Funk, who's Director of Programs for the Alzheimer's Association, and our co-host, Carol Zernio. So you were talking about communicating and scaring someone and getting slapped. Um, you know, what are some other, because that communication, I think that, you know, we're just now realizing about behavior modification, our own as caregivers, and, you know, trying to help influence the behavior of the person that we're caring for versus just passing out some sort of Alzheimer's medication, which there are none that really works stupendously well anyway. Um, so talk a little bit about those communication skills. You mentioned getting down on their level. What about, you know, oftentimes I'll hear a caregiver correcting you know their loved one don't you remember or do you know who i am yes those kinds of questions quizzing and and they i think they look at it that you know i'm just trying to help i'm trying to spark that memory and so i'm i'm trying to help but actually when you do that you're just you're really when it gets down to it pointing out that someone's not able to do something anymore so we want to try not to do that and look more at When an individual is doing certain things that we may think is a a behavior or it's a bad thing, 
we look at it that they're communicating to us. We just have to figure out what are they communicating and then meet them in their journey. So I do a thing, and when I do presentations, I'll say, okay, everyone in the audience, who likes to be right? Hold your hand up. And, of course, we all like to be right. So when you're talking with someone and what they're saying is absolutely incorrect, it didn't happen that way, it's, it's incorrect, we automatically jump to correcting. But with someone with any type of dementia, that is their reality. That is how it went. And things will go much smoother when we work on let it go. You don't get to be right in this situation. They're always right. Join their journey, unless it's a safety issue, and that's totally different, where you have to put your foot down and don't join their journey. But but for most everything else, it's join their journey. When they are saying something, don't correct them. Just go, oh, okay, you're right. That's how that went. And then just go on. And you can diffuse an entire an argument. The other part, the part of our brain that really holds our ability to be reasonable and and be rational. And when you explain things, when you think about that, that part of their brain is damaged. So they're not able to do that. And we're, we're trying to meet them at a level where they've always been, but things are changing. And this does, these diseases are very hard, I think, because you can't see them. It's in the brain. It's different than if it were something else. So we try to keep reminding family members it's the disease, and you are not going to correct them. They're just going to argue with you because it's correct to them. So we have to work on let it go. And then if you're angry, walk around the corner and, you know, let it all out, but not in front of the person. And then you just go back and, yes, you're right. So I'm hearing you say that the person with Alzheimer's or any kind of dementia isn't really doing it on purpose. So they're not acting that way to get you, the caregiver, you know, to needle you or poke you or make you mad. Right. And it feels like that. I know. I under. I do. I very much understand. And all of this is much easier to, to talk about than to apply. But it, you'll see a different outcome. And they really are not doing this on purpose to make you want to pull your, your hair out. It's, it's part of what happens. And we, we also use the saying, they don't know that they don't know. So, of course I can drive. What do you mean I, I shouldn't be driving? Well, oftentimes they, they, they either in the beginning stages won't acknowledge that something's wrong, but oftentimes it's they don't know. They don't have the capacity to understand that things aren't safe anymore. Right. And I, I thought you made a really good point about going along with their journey except in safety issues. So sometimes caregivers won't acknowledge there are safety issues because it's my husband, it's my mom, it's my dad. What would you tell someone who is observing a safety issue, whether it's driving or walking out and getting lost all the time, going around, you know, just taking a walk? Unfortunately, we talk with families on a pretty regular basis and they'll share, you know, well, they've only been lost once. Or they've only been, you know, they've only been gone for a few hours and we didn't know where they were. But, you know, it's, and again, it's, it's so hard, especially whether it's a spouse or a parent, you get put in this situation where you end up really truly having to make more and more decisions on behalf of that person, even when it feels like they should still be able to do it themselves because of who they are to you. But safety-wise, I can give you horrible, horrible examples of people who, get lost and 
don't get found or get hurt or, you know, just have really terrible things that happen, wind up not even in their own city, but in the next city over. There are so many things that happen. Six out of ten people will wander at some point during the disease progression. I remember when the late Archbishop Flores uh, got lost and ended up in some other city. Right. And that's what those silver alerts are. If you have a, if you see a silver alert, they started um, in Texas, but other states have adopted that. That means somebody is lost. That's an older person that has dementia. I always check the model of the car to see if I'm driving it. <laughs> good good, good job, know. Ron. Thank good you. job. Well, I can tell you a story like that, and we're going to do that in just a minute. Ginny Funk, thank you for being here from the Alzheimer's Association. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our co-host Carol Zerniel. You're listening to Caregiver SOS on air on 9:30 a.m. The Answer. If you care for a spouse or a loved one, come to the 2019 Caregivers Summit, November 1st at the Whitley Theological Center, brought to you by the WellMed Charitable Foundation. This year's summit is the Empowered Caregiver. There's no cost to attend. Speakers include caregiver author Sheila Warnock, Tam Cummings, author of Untangling Alzheimer's, Dr. Lillian Oaks, medical director with WellMed's Palliative Care Program, and elder law attorney Carol Birch. You can even get a free flu shot while you're there. Light breakfast and lunch will be served, and respite care will be available for up to 20 spots. Again, the Caregiver Summit will be at the Whitley Theological Center, 285 Oblate Drive, November 1st. Social workers, CEUs, and nursing CNEs will be available. Call 866-390-6491 or visit caregiversos.org to register. That's caregiversos.org. And join us for the 2019 Caregiver Summit. Well, we are pleased you were with us here on Caregiver SOS On Air. I'm Ron Aaron, along with our very special guest, Ginny Funk, Director of Programs for the Alzheimer's Association, Carol Zerniel, our co-host here on Caregiver SOS On Air. We're talking about situations that put people at risk who may have Alzheimer's. Uh, years ago, my uh, middle son was graduating from the U.S. Naval Academy, and my dad had dementia, had Alzheimer's. My mother said, oh, we got to bring him, got to bring Saul. So we went to Annapolis. They drove from Cleveland. My brother drove them up, checked into a hotel, and within four minutes of checking in, he was gone, my dad. And the desk, we called the desk, and they found him just wandering the hotel, brought him back to the room. Uh, And that was the first time my mother had gone away with him and suddenly realized she can't leave him alone. Mm-hmm. Which is a scary situation. Very scary. You know, my, my aunt also had dementia, and they took her to Albuquerque to a family reunion and checked into the hotel. And about 2 o'clock in the morning, she got up and started banging on everyone's door in the entire hallway of the hotel. Aww. And she was telling them that she had been kidnapped, and she was being held at the hotel um, and that she wanted to go home and just making a ruckus. And they actually got kicked out of the hotel. My cousin and my aunt Aww. got kicked out of the hotel and had to go stay someplace else because she had been so uh, – she had distressed so many people uh, about her situation. And so, you know, there's the safety issue and then there's the issue about taking somebody out of what is really familiar to them can trigger a whole new set of problems that maybe you didn't have, maybe right. your dad didn't have, right. because at home he wouldn't have wandered off. No, he knew where he was. Right. Those those circum- circumstances where you are in a situation that it may not – this happens to people even when they're in their own home. 
it doesn't it becomes to not be familiar and so they can you know have difficulty finding the restroom even in their own home because things can start to look so different because again damage to the brain what's happening their present reality is different than our present reality so my mother had a habit of rearranging the furniture in the house all the time and my dad would get up didn't know where he was he'd bang into furniture and mm-hmm. finally my brother, who's a psychologist, explained to her, you got to quit doing that. Mm-hmm. Leave the furniture where it is. Like, it's like having, pardon the analogy, but a blind dog. They learn how to get around the house. Mm-hmm. Uh, and when you change it, it's very upsetting. Absolutely. Routine, routine, routine is one of the very best things that you can do for someone when you're taking care of someone with dementia. That's also really difficult. What if you're working? What if you have, you know, you have life circumstances? So... We've worked with families that even the ones who have many, many family members and they're a well-functioning family, they end up needing assistance either in the home or having to go somewhere to get the assistance because this really does become a 24-hour disease. Right. And and just building on that, I know from, from my mother – if you could, you know, put the activities of importance and routine, it was eating. When it was time to eat, it was time to eat. And a storm cloud would go across her face. You could see the thunder clouds rolling in, and it was like, oh, my gosh, we have got to get something to eat. And I'm sure for different people, it's different triggers like that that will just – that's the one thing you better take care of. So tell Absolutely. me, as someone who knows a lot about this, who – lectured, who teaches, who helps families. What was it like for yourself when your mother developed Alzheimer's and and suddenly you're providing assistance? Well, it was very tough. It was the last thing in a million years that I would have thought would happen. And, you know, she was extremely supportive. She came to all of our walks. She came to gala. I often thought sometimes that she was Sometimes a lot. She was there to support me and run around after me to make sure that I'd have a drink of water or, you know, have a bite to eat. But she was there. So in the beginning, it was very tough because I feel like she thought maybe I was even forcing this on her in some way because she knew very much over the years what I did. But when things like we would go to Target, come back, I would walk into her kitchen with her and the lit, you know, the stove fire would be on. And it was on the entire time we were gone. And, of course, I did the wrong thing. I would blow up and sort of get hysterical and scared and angry. And when she would just sort of, oh, it's it's fine, it's nothing, I would leave and go to my house and think, no, this is, this is, not, this is not normal. This is very, very serious. You have to start paying attention to these things. And I just, you know, I even actually would start – this is so sounds kind of weird, but I would record things on my phone because I would think there's no way that this you just don't think this is going to happen to me. This is my loved one, the strongest, you know, the most intelligent, the most beautiful. How could this possibly be happening? But I would then record it. And I also, you know, you have family members who maybe aren't necessarily around and they may not may not see things and so i would record just to then say oh no this is real this is reality this is happening you can stay in denial for a little while but that's where you can get into really tricky crisis situations if you don't just really face this head on and there are again as carol was saying you know there are medications but truly there's not a treatment to stop most of these dementias from progressing, but there are so many things you can do. You can learn about the disease. You can get all the tips on how to communicate with someone when their brain is changing and they're communicating differently. And 
you can get support of others and find out you're not alone. There's so many things. There are a lot of safety. You know, we have a whole driving course that you can do. There's so many things out there. You just have to be willing to reach out and and get it. To get my dad to stop driving, my brother finally had to take the distributor cap when they used to have them uh, off his car. Uh, so there was no way to start it. But some folks are, are still functional enough they to call uh, the dealership uh, to get the car fixed. Yes, we, we deal. We have lots and lots of conversations with family members. It's kind of a step process where first you start with losing the keys. And I'm doing you know that with quotation marks. You can't find the keys somewhere. Well, if they get the keys replaced, then what happens next? Often things are a cue. So if it's right in their line of sight every day and it's parked right outside, they're going to want to get in and drive. Right. Well, we've got to take it to the shop. It's got to get something fixed. Or there's lots of tips on steps you can do. Usually you reach that point, though, where you have to make the car to where it won't run. Because I've had someone say, well, we'll just take their driver's license away. Oh. Well, for someone with dementia, and Alzheimer's or any other that's not going to stop them from grabbing the keys and going to drive. It doesn't, it doesn't work like that. That's a reasonable and rational thought, but it doesn't work like that. So, but if the car itself won't start, well, then they can't. Right. And, and or, or if it's gone, or if you just take it exactly. Make I, think, it I, I think I heard. I think I heard you uh, giving a recommendation to just not even have it there to be the trigger. Right. To to take it to the shop, and you know it's getting fixed at the shop. And you know this is we're very careful. We don't recommend this is an early stage when someone is maybe first diagnosed and they're truly in the early stages of the disease. We know they're still safe. They're still. There's many people who are working, driving among us who are, but these are stages of a disease. And there does reach a point where it's no longer safe. He had three accidents in one day. Oh, my goodness. And that's when my brother, they were bumper benders. He didn't stop in time, whatever. That's when my brother took action. He lived there in Cleveland where my folks lived. Right. Well, you know, you've been talking about uh, dealing with this, all the things you can do, but just quickly, um, what would be some things that someone would look for to say, ooh, that, what are those warning signs that may you know, lead people to begin to think about this might be dementia? Well, and, and people talk about memory, that generally with Alzheimer's disease, short-term memory shows up as a symptom usually first. I know in our situation, it wasn't. Um, you know, my mom had more of dementia with Lewy body or frontotemporal dementia where she started making really bad judgments. With Alzheimer's disease, it's short-term memory, not being able to remember things. And it's not that you forget and remember later. They do not remember later. They may start repeatedly asking you the same thing over and over because they Honestly, their brain is not capable of knowing that you just answered that question. So, and that's where family members get so frustrated. Oh, absolutely! It it really and you know it's hard. The recommendation is just keep answering that question because if you get mad, that's definitely not going to help the situation. And they can't turn that off. If they could, they would. It's right. the toddler in the car. Are we there yet? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Which goes on and on. So, mm-hmm. so short-term mm-hmm. memory. What else might short-term be? memory loss? Communication issues. In our situation, it was you know sentences started to not come out correctly, or handwriting started to change. There were notes all over that just were they were jumbled. They didn't make any sense. So, communication for sure. Making bad judgments. And again, that's not oh, okay. Making a bad decision once in a while. That's 
making a really bad decision, giving away chunks of money and not able to say where it went or giving out your social security number and your birthday to someone on the phone, make really bad decisions. What about personal hygiene? Absolutely. That's another thing that, well, you know, it's it's hard to say this again to a family member, but, you know, it's time it's time to take a shower. No, it's not. I already took one. Well, but it's time to take a shower. Usually that is another thing that starts to show up early. They start wearing the same clothes over and over. And and part of that is we don't think about it, but when you go into shower, there's a million steps in that process that you have to do correctly. You have to make sure the water's the right temperature. You have to make sure that shampoo goes on first. You have to make sure all those steps. And for someone with Alzheimer's and dementia, they lose that ability. So what's easier? Just don't. Just don't. Just, just don't avoid get in it. the shower. Yeah, right. just don't do it. Right. Or also fear of falling. And so, no, I'm just not going to do it. I don't need to do it. Well, if somebody notices something, let's say I notice a warning sign. I'm, I'm suspicious that something is going on. Um, do I call the Alzheimer's Association? Do I call a doctor? What do I do? We're about flat out of time, so tell us how to reach the Alzheimer's Association. Call the Alzheimer's Association, 1-800-272-3900. It's available 24 hours a day. Do it again. 1-800-272-3900. It's available 24 hours a day in all languages. And on the website? ALZ.org. That's easy. ALZ.org. That'll get you anywhere. It is so great to see you again. Thanks for coming in. Thank you so much. appreciate it. Thank you. For Carol Zerniel, I'm Ron Aaron. Thank you for listening to Caregiver SOS On Air on 930 AM The Answer. We will talk with you again very soon. You've been listening to Caregiver SOS On Air, an exclusive presentation of the WellMed Charitable Foundation. We welcome emails with suggestions and comments on this program at radio at wellmed.net. Join co-hosts Carol Zerniel and Ron Aaron next week for more on caregiving, improving the health and well-being of caregivers and their care recipients everywhere. For more on caregiving and podcasts of our programs, visit caregiversos.org.